do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, people that put spoilers on social media and I I, I don't want to say I hate people who do but I <laughs> kind of do <laughs> and so I was watching this episode and spoiler alert just like go five minutes forward if you want to watch your Grey's Anatomy from two weeks ago or whatever but there is the, these two characters get into a car crash and they, of course, are taking care of the two characters separately. And one of the doctors is hearing the man talk about the girl, you know, the, the guy who's got hurt, how much he's in love with her, just wants to see her, so on and so forth. And it turns out he was actually assaulting and raping this woman. Like... At the time of the at accident? The, at, yeah, the girl made the car go over the... She hit the car gear and just made the car go forward and they ended up wrecking and just... Yeah, they had no, like, half their clothes on, but it was because he was trying to rape her. Later in this first part of this episode, right, no, I'm going to say it's toward the end of the episode, he is, it's a code orange, they lock down the hospital, he's locked in a corridor with that doctor, and this little girl who couldn't stay near her parents, it was part of the plot line, it's like these two parents kept looking at their phone, not watching, and their daughter... So, in this one corridor is a fucking rapist, and a child, and this doctor, and everybody was just having a panic attack watching If you watched Twitter, everybody's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and he says, okay, how can we open these doors, because he has a scalpel to the doctor's throat, and says, how can we do this? She's like, start a fire, it'll set off the sprinklers, it'll open the doors, and so he made her get something that starts a fire. The little girl had something that starts a fire. She has fire. The little girl? Yeah. Are these the worst parents ever? Yeah. <laughs> matches in the these are the worst parents ever. <laughs> or, you know, not to be judged, you could do a better job. <laughs> but um, the little girl uh, hands him a thing to start a fire with. And so while he's not looking... The doctor was like guarding the little girl. The doctor, the rapist was like, I'm gonna have to take that little girl because they're gonna let me out faster if I have a child with me. And just like collective, no, just like everybody was just like, hmm. So while he wasn't looking, the doctor poured this flammable solution all over him. And when the fire that he was holding up, like little parts just fell, like little flames fell. And set him on fire. Shonda Rhimes set a rapist on fire. On her show. On her show. Not in real life. Can we round of applause? Yay! And he screamed and he flailed and I was just like, hmm. How cathartic. I love the I love that. I also love Shonda Freud. Well, that's redundant. We've discussed that. Mm. Yeah. But I also had a moment of schadenfreude when I was reading a book from my book club called The Hate You Give. And in it, there's a, it's about a young African-American girl who goes to an elite all-white prep school. She's maybe like among a handful of black people who attend the school, and, the rest, and most of them are her family. So... Um, there's this one girl who she went through junior high, they're in high school now, uh, they play basketball together, and, you know, the friend is being disingenuous towards her every time she brings up matters of race or culture. And the friend turns out to be one of the, those friends who is like, 
I'm not racist. What are you talking about? Don't call me racist. I hate you. Right? To, to, to somebody saying you're being mean. And so anyway, blah, blah, blah. It escalates. And for good reason, when this white classmate was talking about the heroine's murdered friend, she just called off and popped her one in the face. And then at book club, I said, I don't know about you guys, but I reread that passage <laughs> several times in slow-mo and just relished the moment because in real life, we can't all haul off and slap the fuck out of a racist. Oh, my God. Or an unwoke person. If we could. And it just, it just, like you were saying, Miranda, like celebrate and clap for it because <laughs> it's what I needed. It's how it was very realistic as to how it would play out. Yes, there were consequences. But your family still high fives you for it. What are we talking about today, Angie? Uh, what are we talking about today? We are talking about uh, this video that we posted on our page a couple days ago, yesterday, I think, about. What was it? Strong Opinions Loosely Held, I think is the company that put out, out this video, and it's a bunch of Asian-American actors and, and other people in the entertainment industry talking about the issue of Asian representation, and it was awesome, so if you, if you haven't seen it, go check it out immediately. Um, so we're going to talk about that, Yay. and we're also talking about the Brown Girls web series, which we've all watched out, and that's segment two. Awesome! All right, so segment one... Um, Miranda, you wanted to also talk about fashion magazines? No, I do. Do tell. Well, I love magazines. And, <laughs> and, and even though they're all ads, <laughs> and most of the content for the majority of the time I've purchased magazines was garbage, like open up a Cosmo, half of that shit's garbage. 50 ways to make Well, him. half of it is ads, so... Yeah. <laughs> so half like, of it, yeah. So like three quarters of it. 50 ways to make him what, be attractive Yeah, or some shit like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all very... Everything in Cosmo seems to fail the Bechtel test. So... <laughs> and you might like, want to bang your head in a wall, but you do love the fashion, and you do love... I love the art, and I love the photography, too. So, I don't know. I don't actually read Cosmo anymore. I'm just talking about my history here. Oh. But now... Was going to be read for the article? No. <laughs> there are, no, no. I now uh, get a lot of Ober Magazine, because I do love Ober Magazine's articles, and I do love their art, and I do love their fashion as well. And I also get Glamour Magazine's actually feminist, more feminist than they've ever been. They. Is anybody subscribing to Teen Vogue? Yeah, Teen Vogue is the business now. Mm-hmm. They are woke, and I've noticed now that Teen Vogue's editorial board is very female, very young. Well, Wait, younger. I'm sorry, is that not true for all women's magazines? Are no. they not? And then also very intersectional. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, not the diversity part, but aren't they generally run by women? Is that not true? Yeah, I, I they kind of are. Yeah. 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 I mean, I still, <laughs> Tina Brown did tweet R.I.P. Roger Ailes the other day. There's good parts of him. So. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah, you didn't see that? No. No, Rebecca Trace did tweet Oh, wait, I did see that. Yeah, I It was delightful for me to see two things out of magazines that have recently come out. Priyanka Chopra was on the cover of Glamour, I believe, and... There was another magazine, the O Magazine, talked about it, features Oprah every time. Um, <laughs> it's but, us again, who's on the cover of that? Yeah, who's on the cover of that? <laughs> um, so it, the Oprah Magazine that I got talked about race. And there are some amazing pictures, and hopefully we can find them online and post them to the show notes. Otherwise, I'll take pictures of them, where there's some uh, role reversal between ethnicities there was a picture of a short blonde girl looking at an aisle of dolls that all had brown skin. There was a row of salon chairs that had Asian women sitting in them and white women were doing their nails. There was a picture of a Latina woman like dressed in haute couture, I'm sure, and she was having her drink filled by a white maid and so it was really interesting to see 
we'll post it, but basically the whole magazine was centered around this conversation about race and how we talk about it to each other. There were more brown people in those two magazines than I'm used to seeing. And it was a wonderful thing because if there's anything that makes you feel um, like you don't belong, it's flipping through, <laughs> loving to flip through magazines, flipping through it, and 90% of it is not you. Particularly fashion magazines, too. Yeah. And so I wrote a piece for our blog uh, a couple weeks ago about the cancellation of Ta-Nehisi Coates's Black Panther and the Crew comic just after two episodes. And in that uh, blog, I pulled out a, a comment section from a blog that has one person commenting, we're tired of diversity being pushed down our throats, basically. But they went very in detail with it. I'm tired of seeing... You know, like a woman or a black man or, you know, a gay person <laughs> shoehorn in a story. Um, you know, just stop with it. Why is it never shoehorned when it's a white person? Listen, and that, <laughs> was, that was the other comment, right? I'm tired, in quotes, replacing all the minority, minority things that that other person said with the majority point of view. And it's like, why do people realize there's two sides of it? So I love when I can look at something and, and not that I don't want to see white people. But I want to see it reflective of the actual world we're living in. And yeah. we don't. It's like we're living in a, a, a society built like a pyramid where to be at the apex of it, you have to be a certain skin color. Mm -hmm. And that apex is the minority when you look at the rest of the fucking pyramid. Mm -hmm. You know? And so it's like, why are we forced to look at the apex? Right. When the surface area of the rest of the pyramid is so much more. You know? Yeah. I've always really hated that argument, too, about the shoehorning or the... I, I'm so tired of diversity being shoved down my throat, really. Like, there are five million other comic comic titles that you can go read if you want to see a straight white... It's like that, motherfucking Those options are still there fiction. for you. Nobody's taking yeah. it away from you. Yeah, and so it's like, that's fiction, but back to your point, Miranda, about the magazines, it's like, even then, do you guys remember the controversy when Mindy was on the cover of, was it Glamour? Right, the black and, and white. The black yeah. and white photo, and then that came on the heels of her, the criticism that went towards her on her ads when the mini project was still on Fox, that they photoshopped her in white face. Like, if you look at her actual skin color and look at it's those It's dark brown. She was lighter than me. Like, it was, oh, it was ridiculous. It made her look like she was wearing bad makeup. And if I was Mindy Keeling, I'd be insulted because she's known for her style. Like, when I think of Mindy Keeling, I think, oh, we could shop together. Uh -huh. You know? And so, well, she'd have to pay, but we could shop together. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, um, so that to me was just like, well, even then, like, she's climbing up towards the apex, but you can't sit up here unless you look like us. Right. You know? Like, and I remember Beyonce getting... That treatment too when she was on the cover of L'Oreal. I don't want to mix brands. The L'Oreal model for hair color, Feria. Yeah. Feria. You look at Beyonce in life and you look at her on the image of that box, you'd be like, oh, this is a white woman who looks like Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so wow. Yay O magazine and Yay magazines being representative. Right. That's interesting. Yeah. And there's a nice interview with Priyanka Chopra. And one part that they emphasized on was her talking about people telling her to stay in her lane. Like, stay in your lane? In a no way. Know. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just kind of went, well, actually, part of me was kind of like, oh, yeah, I know that little command. Wait, um, in, like, in what context were they telling her to stay in her lane? Um, like, what is when her it lane? comes to, you know, don't be too courageous in your acting career don't be too mm. you know don't don't go here and there you yeah. know, oh just be yeah you know, and that's, that's so interesting because I'm really curious about a experience of somebody like Priyanka Chopra I think we were talking about this uh, yeah. earlier but but because she's not American she's coming at this from a very different perspective than people growing up in this country who right. are dealing with these race issues and I, I and she was already hugely famous before she came here, mm -hmm. and I anticipate that that makes her experience different than, like, Mindy Kaling's, for example, but I am really curious as to what she thinks about it, having experiencing it now from her perspective. She does talk about that in the interview, so go pick it up. I think you can still get it. It's still available, but she talks about how, um, about diversity, and 
the interviewer asked her, do you feel like, I forgot exactly how it was worded, but asking her about her role in making more opportunities for Asian Americans to have representation in Hollywood. And she's like, I'm not sure, I don't know, I don't know if I look at it as that, but if that's what it is, you know, she's all for representation and she doesn't, I don't think she looks at it as she had to claw her way through. I mean, she didn't. She didn't. She right. was already famous before. Yeah. That's why she had clout coming into the situation. Yeah. So that does make it easier for her. She but. says, though, I if I'm creating an opportunity for somebody else behind me, yes. That's pretty cool. I still, I know she came up with a lot of clout, but I still need to know her path. Like, I need to know it in detail because I follow a lot of Asian actors, like Korean and Japanese actors, because I am invested in that media, I watch it. And there are a lot of them who come over here and don't rise to fame as quickly as she did. Oh no, yeah, definitely. And I need to know why. Like, there's, <laughs> uh, there's this hot, the guy in the G.I. Joe series, the, the I don't know his name, the white ninja guy, he's Korean. He's, he's a huge movie star on par with like Tom Cruise in, Korea, in South Korea. How is that not equivalent to Priyanka Chopra? Okay, so that's equivalent to Priyanka Chopra's level of fame in India prior to coming to America, and they did not have the same career path. Right. Which is weird. Well, there's no argument to be made that's Asian, Asian guy versus Indian woman. And yeah. We talked about that being a different path. But I'm, I'm even comparing her to Aishwarya Rai, who tried to do the same thing. <laughs> Agreed. But, <laughs> but if you have a rating scale where a hot Asian guy is still less hot than any other guy, then that doesn't really matter, does it? Like, it's easier to accept an attractive woman, Asian woman, than it is to accept an attractive Asian man. Interesting. Absolutely yeah. because men are in charge. Ask John Cho. Another. <laughs> only um, because men are in charge. Right. It's only, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, another thing she talks about is about how she doesn't really get offended anymore because I think she's been I'm sure I'm sure she's drowned in racist shit from both sides from both sides being said to her and she looks at it now as an opportunity to educate if somebody makes a joke because she does get a lot of flack for being a Bollywood actress and how Bollywood in America is not seen as legit because people who admire Bollywood are in charge. Like, the people who like Bollywood, and I'm not necessarily one of them, <laughs> Bollywood is legit. Like, it's, yeah. it's permeated so many different other uh, facets of the world who share, like, cultural values mm-hmm. that they present, and the West doesn't. So people in the West aren't like, oh, yay. You yeah. Know? And so she, she uses that as an opportunity to show them what Bollywood is doing now. Yeah. Versus getting offended that this person has said this thing that is absolutely off. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool. Check out Glamour. Check out O Magazine, uh, not only for the conversation about race, but for these amazing photographs that were taken. And, you know, Oprah, in the end, you know, she signs off talking about race. The, the whole magazine is dedicated. Awesome. And, and Oprah is also um, producing, and I think she may be starring in The Wrinkle in Time that Ava DuVernay directed in New Zealand that also starred Mindy Kaling. Hmm. So, Mindy Kaling's in that movie? Yeah, she is. Yeah. And uh, Mindy Kaling's also in Ocean's uh, 13. I heard about that. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, we're getting spaces. I'm so ambivalent about Ocean's 13, but it's fine. But so listen, <laughs> so it's like, I appreciate Mindy Kaling. For the fact that she, unlike Priyanka, came up through America and is aware of American norms and can embody any stereotype of a woman but be the brown version of it. Whereas Priyanka Chopra can't come in that way. She mm-hmm. has to be the exotic beauty. Right. Yeah. So I'm not playing like we'll never be, we'll never have, I feel like we're, at this point, we won't have like Indian woman be putting on equal footing, which I think is a good thing. It's like you have the high Indian girl, you have the accessible Indian girl. That's a good thing. Like, we have representation in all the spaces. That's true, yeah. You know? So, but, so then why aren't we on the fashion magazines? <laughs> right. And um, they, uh, man, I just... Even Indian fashion magazines. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some people who are doing it right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, there was an article put out 
in New York Magazine about why, entitled, why are we not seeing more South Asians in modeling? It's, some, it's titled something like that. And we'll, of course, put the right title in the right <laughs> article. But it was a 2009 article that talked about Lakshmi Menon, who landed a contract with Vogue, a 12-page spread all to herself. She is, like, the first Indian supermodel over here, legit Indian supermodel over here in America. And they were talking about, in this article, why is this not a thing? Why is there underrepresentation with black models? Why is there underrepresentation with Indian models? And she says this, quote, If there aren't many South Asian girls modeling, that's because the agencies haven't looked. I don't think anyone has really come to India to scout for girls, or at least not in the same way they go to South America or Eastern Europe. In a country of more than 1.2 billion, there are bound to be beautiful women. I mean, come on, who are uh, we kidding? Yes. I do wonder... Go ahead, Pigeon. I was just going to say, yes, to all of that, because if you've seen any Chinese or Indian fashion magazine from and made by and published in India, we'll get to... We'll get to yeah. Vogue India in a second. I think right. that's what you want to get to. You can see the statuesque beauties of the world. And you wonder why aren't they more famous? I wonder that. I wonder why. And so, then I make an assumption. Oh, like, oh, are they darker in person? Oh, are they shorter in person? <laughs> that is not Shorter is where I'm going with this. I think, I'm wondering how much of this is because the Western modeling world has standards that include being like 5'11 or 5'12. They do. There are models but, that are shorter. But then I feel like then we need to definitely like break that world back into how it was in the 18th century. So, like making fashion art. Right. Because there aren't a plethora of 5'11 women in the world like that's overrepresented in fashion. Like overrepresentation should stop. Just because, okay, I'm so not disagreeing design, with you. You're designing clothes that look good on a certain frame, and you're making art. You're not necessarily making fashion. Right. Call them art models. Right. Well, that's um, true. Yeah, and that's the truth of the going, for a long time. Going forward in this article, she talks about how there is a lot of ethnic stereotyping inside the jobs. So if you are an Indian model, like, for example, Lakshmi shoot for Vogue, depicts her at a Goan carnival <laughs> and her shoot for Dazed was inspired by ancient civilizations and there was an Hermes campaign I think where she had to be near an elephant and she said that was her first time being near an elephant <laughs> so they can only really have an Indian model in things if they connected to Indian culture yeah, or in something. some superficial yeah. way so next it's gonna be monkeys. Yeah. <laughs> so even though I hate the site Dipply because it's all ads and you have to scroll literally forty seven times to get to the twenty top three twenty four seven reasons or whatever. <laughs> and so they once did this thing that was a distillation of some article I'm sure about this project this Australian psychologist may have done. I'll find it out and link to it in the show notes. Having gathered different photographers and telling them a different life story of the same subject and watched how they photographed him based on what their personal stereotypes are and their vision of that. So I think that's in mass what's happening when she mentions, like, I'm only, you know, so one of the things they did in the article, they were just like, oh, this guy just got out of prison. And so they showed him looking out a window as of gazing off into fruit. And this other one was, this guy lost a lot of weight. And so there's another picture of him with his, you know, in a power pose. Oh, this guy just beat cancer. And there's a picture of him, you know, like, reflective on a chair with shadow passing around his face. <laughs> so it's like the photographer's personal bias plays into that. So I totally believe if you have an Indian actress, the easiest thing to do is go with your personal bias and mm-hmm. have a secondary, you know? Well, I think it's also part of the arc of representation, right? Is that you go from the beginning of having no representation and then you start having one or two people show up and they're exoticized and then you get to where you start breaking away from the exoticization and having more like varied representation like that's how you sort of slowly get to a point where it's normal except that we never get there (laughs) right there is also fast forward because we are talking about 
eight years ago. Now we're in 2014, and I believe there was a South Asian model, Neelam Gill, in the 2014 Burberry campaign. And while you're like, hell yeah, Indian in an American or, you know, Western fashion spread, it almost seemed this one article is criticizing it for it almost seemed token. So that particular house cannot be accused of discrimination. Oh. Like, remember when Tommy Hilfiger got accused of being racist in all of his spreads and then he started to, you know. Because he is. <laughs> <laughs> he started featuring black models in his spreads just to, you know, counter that claim. So there's not a lot of explanations for the lack of Daisy models, but there was one argument that it might have something to do with Indian culture being shrouded with restrictions, this one article says. Quote, I can see that. Indian culture, Indian culture is shrouded with restriction. Uh, it's not due to a lack of models. We just have to look into the Indian subcontinent for prominent models, such as Pujamor, Lakshmanon, and Bumika Aurora, and who have managed to break into the world of high fashion, and yet they're still in the minority. So what are what are the restrictions? Just bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like. Every girl, every, like, what girl, women and girls are asked to do in the fashion industry is against any moral restriction. So what societal restriction could possibly be in place that any other girl from any other walk of life goes and stars herself, lives in tenement housing, essentially, and has to put up with bullshit until she makes it big that is different for an Indian woman from the Indian subcontinent? What, what barriers are different? You're asking all women to do the same exact thing. So say, I, I mean, like, I don't assume that I assume that they're not talking about it being that you have to do different things if you're Asian. It's just that that there there's something inherent in Asian culture that makes it harder to. And I can kind of see that almost because Asian culture is really overprotective, particularly when it comes to their girls. And there's a whole modesty thing. I can see there maybe being harder to like navigate. I mean, just to them, not worth trying to navigate that. If they don't have to. But I think that's the patriarchy of India, though. I think that's telling women, you have no agency. You can't make these choices. You are expected to live by this code because that's what has been done. Right. That's true. So, also, there's the assimilation thing plays into this because, check it out, end quote, the industry's domination by white models is not news, <coughs> yet worryingly, it's a trend that has also made its way into India itself. Having white models in Indian campaigns is not new with Amy Jackson enjoying a flourishing career in India and Sri Lanka, despite her being white. So this actually, uh, it's not about having, it's concerning because it's just not about having South Asian models simply for the sake of having a brown face, but rather showing that Desi women are just as worthy and capable of being in high fashion as compared to their white Black East counterparts. Right, because exoticism is still a fetish. It's, it's seen as being a kink to appreciate something other than the status quo that's being presented. Right, and so that brings us to the current shade tree. Um, <laughs> we found on Vogue India. Is it a mango tree that's throwing shade? <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna choke. Um, so, Vogue India is having their 10th anniversary issue and who do they choose to have on the cover? Priyanka. Lakshmi Mona. No, no. Mindy. No. Awesome. No. <laughs> and Lakshmi. Any Bollywood actors? <laughs> no. Aaron Roy. Uh, <laughs> me? How great would that be? <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> no. Kendall fucking Jenner. Wait, is she Indian? No. Is she is she a big part of Indian fashion? No. Then why? <laughs> why has this happened? <laughs> uh, Vogue India got a lot of backlash for doing this. There's two sides of it. Of course, there's like so many people are like, "What's wrong with having an American in an Indian fashion magazine?" Uh, people of color are in American fashion magazines all the time. Is it American white people saying this? Yeah, no, it, it, it's, <laughs> it's assimilated Indians that ah. are saying it. 
Well, yeah. maybe maybe the, <laughs> Uncle Bobby. Uncle Bobby. Um, yeah. Maybe um maybe it wasn't the tenth anniversary. Issue. Yeah. What if it was like another it's, issue. It's fine if it's just another fucking July. Yeah, <laughs> it would have been fine, but they chose to go this route and it was celebrated and all the PR that went out for it was I mean, okay, first of all, there was an Indian designer who made it to the top five of um, Project Runway two seasons ago. He has the greatest blue contacts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that season, the, the Ashley, the first plus size designer won for plus size, the poor plus size line, he brought such great Indian architecture mm-hmm. and he reinvented how to drape saris versus evening gowns like he brought he brought something he brought east east west in his pieces and then I went and researched him and he's amazing why why wasn't he on the cover like why wasn't some it is all about marriage and weddings why wasn't a bridal designer on the cover I mean like, even you if you want, want even if you want that kind of international celebrity then why wasn't it Priyanka you know exactly. or Ashwarya or, or like, anybody Malala. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> no, <Malala>. <laughs> 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 Um, so, like, I don't know, Malala would have been great for Vogue. She would have been great. Just like... Team Vogue, where are you at? Yeah. She's so, still a teen, right? She's 20 years? No, she's still young. So, um, I just wanted to throw some shade at Vogue India. You could have all chosen all the shade. You could have chosen differently. Of a banyan tree. I was going to say that <laughs> So there's that. That's shade. I wanted to bring up that shade because fuck them. And <laughs> the other part of why um, I wanted to at least do some research on it, I wanted to find some magazines that are doing it right. There is an uh, there is a magazine called Brown Girl Magazine. Um, you can see Western shoots. You get to read. Um, stories that affect us personally. I read through the headings of several articles that sound like things that we talk about on this show. They feature a brown Sweet, girl. We control of the them week. for topics. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean um they had uh for holy there is a girl there was one in particular I thought we'd find interesting as far because we were talking about fashion. There was a girl, uh, a Bangladeshi girl that did a response to American Apparel and it's just like, you know how American Apparel like basically is like a bunch of kids with no clothes on, <laughs> right? So um, there's a really neat response to that from this girl and Brown Girl Magazine. What, what? I also like Brown Girl Magazine, I'll echo you, because I have applied to write there and they never got back to me, so what, I have no grudge. Um, <laughs> obviously, anyway. Uh, but they have their editorial board broken down into diasporas. Mm. Wow. Yes. And so I appreciate that. So you know the perspective you're getting when you write, you click on that bio for that author and be like, oh, she's writing from a West Indian perspective. Oh, she's writing from a Sri Lankan perspective. And I love that. That is yeah. awesome. You know, not only, so to me it's important because it's like, okay, so we're, American, under the layer of that, we're from the Indian diaspora, and under that, if you're like me, you have another layer of immigration, you know, diaspora in there. And so that all informs how you look at the world. And the fact that they see that and recognize that it's props so to wonderful. that. Yeah, that is awesome. You know, because then you don't feel like alone. You're like, oh, I only see the world that way because of this. Oh, no, other people see it like that too. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I like props. <laughs> Moving forward. Yes. So speaking of things that are being carved out and spaces being carved out, the second leg of the show, we're going to talk about a web series I have heretofore erroneously called Two Brown Girls. It's just called Brown Girls. And so we previously discussed... Although I did find a YouTube channel of uh, two girls teaching makeup tutorials under Two Brown Girls. No shortage there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Work those brushes, huh? All right. So we previously discussed how brown people have to make space for ourselves outside of the mainstream, and that led a lot of the people from the diaspora covering our spaces on the internet, such as Lily Singh and Jess Rain. 
Um, to just to name a few, on, on YouTube and then on podcasts, we do have like Hari Kondabolu, who hosts several podcasts. And um, the, the actual podcast series called Two Brown Girls, shout out Freha and Zeba. Um, and so we wanted to talk about another space that we've carved out on the web featuring a TV a web series called Brown Girls. Um, Brown Girls is a seven episode web series that is written by Fatima Ashtar and directed by Sam Bailey, who are two women of color who are friends in real life. And if you want to hear the story about how they started um, working together and how this series came into fruition, uh, we will link to the NPR Fresh Air interview they did with Terry Gross, where they talk all about that. It is an interesting story. So before this, they were friends before this collaboration. So Brown Girls is an intimate portrait of the lives of two young women of color, Nabila Hussein, uh, stars as Layla. She's South Asian and she's a writer. And she's just now owning her queerness. And Patricia, who is played so perfectly by Sonia De- Dennis, or Denise, she's French, is uh, a sex positive black American musician who's struggling to commit to anything her job, her music, her and relationships. And while the two women come from completely different backgrounds, their friendship is ultimately what they lean on to get through the messiness of their mid 20s. So right here, we're going to let you listen to a bit of the preview. First, first of you, like, you got to stop eating dirty fly. Oh my God, Just, that should have been the real intervention. No, 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 dirty, but... It was a mistake, okay? And, like, y'all just please, just get over it. <laughs> um, do you still have pink ass? Layla? Escúchame, te estoy hablando. Come on, Layla, you can do this. I get a shy sometimes and a quiet, but I'm working on it. I get a fire inside to say, but I'm working on it. And I'm a need for a fire every time I be counting on it. What's her face? Insecure started out with the misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, right? Yes. Issa Rae? Based up kind of loosely, yeah, like it developed from that, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so Insecure kind of came from yeah, that. So, so we wanted to talk about what our favorite things about Brown Girls was. From the get-go, just, I felt like a pull because I'm so used to seeing everybody else's story being told. I'm not used to seeing anyone who looks like me who isn't trying to be... I mean, let's face it, that's what Mindy is. Mindy's trying to be basically a white man in a brown girl's body. But just brown girls being brown girls, I was just like, what am I seeing? And being kind of a mess. Yeah, and being totally (laughs) messy and something that would embarrass their parents. I'm like, wait, that's me. Like, (laughs) You guys... You gals, I could cry how much I love this show. Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about that opening. Okay, before I even get there, let's talk about the fact that there was a conscious, if you listen to that NPR interview, a conscious decision to hire only people of color to work in front of and behind the camera. And Anji, you have words about that. Um, And Miranda, I think we talked about this in our planning session about 
how that meant that people would know how to be lit. How that yeah. meant, like the makeup artist knew exactly what to do. How the hair thing. But talking, going back to talking about the show itself, I appreciated that because there's so much you can tell by looking at a person's room. And both the entire series is bookended by looking at Layla's room first in the opening scene, and then and the opening scene of episode seven is Patricia's room. Wasn't that also the final work? Final yeah, the final scene. Yeah. yeah. So you're scanning through and you're learning all about these women, what's important to them, what, you know, and you see a mix of, um, you know, at least on Layla's part, because I was way more conscious of it, um, being Asian, being American, and being other in that space regardless, right? Right. And so we back away. And okay, this show has been out since February, and if you haven't seen it yet, it's been talked about literally everywhere. BET, Vice, Time, HuffPo. If you haven't seen it yet, then okay, there what are, are going to be spoilers. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So in the opening scene, the the, the director Sam Bailey just glances over the fact that there's somebody in the bed and you focus on Layla and Layla lying to her aunt, which, you know, that entire sequence, we, is episode six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically the bonus lies, yeah. like the ridiculous lies she was telling. Yeah. So I was she, like, oh, yeah. that's us. Yeah. Yeah. So you find out you are informed about Layla before... That phone call, and if you are Asian, you relate to that phone call, and then immediately you're like, aha, right? Mm-hmm. And so then, spoiler alert, the person in the bed turns out to be a woman, so there's another layer of aha. <laughs> and I would say the first season is all about both women coming to terms with a challenge. For Layla, it's she's staying not, in the closet. Staying in the closet. Right. And for Patricia, it's not pursuing music. And to a lesser extent, which I hope they explore in the second season, it's tied to she hasn't dealt with the breakup with her boyfriend. Right. Right? In a healthy way. Yeah. So um, I just love that. I don't know if that's still, that much information would have been told if it wasn't a female director. Like, I think the female director and the set designer, like, put things in place that once you, she does that pan of the room, uh-huh. you don't need backstory because you know. You know? And that's in the span of a show that in total of seven episodes is less than 40 minutes. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. amazing. I mean, like, an eight-minute episode, eight minute episode or a ten-minute episode, they mm-hmm. managed to tell so much I think it's short bits. Yeah. And that's how they do it, is by putting a lot of stuff in the background. Right. Kind of can we talk about the cooking? Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Okay, first of all, this is my favorite episode <laughs> because, first of all, I'm a sucker for anything that has to do with sisters, and that whole interaction between Layla and her sister was awesome. And also, I love Mistrat; she was amazing. That is episode three, and I love that episode for the like the obvious reasons and the subtle reasons. The subtle reasons being, I relate to Mistrat. Like, the Ella sister coming in, but also I relate to Layla, and my rotates are never <laughs> If you can imagine an accidental star-shaped roti, I have to made it. So, no, uh, according to the meme, I'm never getting married, because it's not run. Yeah. Um, but also in the sense that, you know... It wasn't even the fact that the rotis weren't round, it was the fact that she was using pizza Yeah. <laughs> that was great. Oh, 
makes me wish I'd never dolls more. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up, that's another conversation. Um, but yeah, her sister is so great. Um, oh my gosh. I don't have that sister figure in my life, but the closest that it comes to is my cousin Jamie. And she'll be the one that knocks me for not being Indian enough. But, like, she, I think she also understands that that's never going to be me. I will never be that. Is so. it? In, I mean, because Mitzvah was also kind of knocking Layla for not being, you know, Asian enough with the Rukti and the, you know, whatever. So she was still giving her that shit, but in a more kind of affectionate sort of way. Yeah, I didn't feel like she was treating her like she's a piece of shit human being. So. Yeah. And also, Rukti and Dal, like, no. <laughs> that's not dear sisters I have three of them so let me address you directly if I visit you near home and the meal is roti and dal order a pizza because you don't love me <laughs> just use the pizza dough to make an action yeah just make the Trader Joe's pizza dough into a pizza <laughs> put a lot of unpleasant and, and to be fair, she did knock like half her groceries into a human being on the road. <laughs> Let's talk about okay, perfect. Thank you. So the person she ends up knocking um, into turns out to be someone she later punches. And I only say that because I want to talk about the moments of empowerment in this show. So there were two moments. One, when Patricia was kicking old boy Jason out of her bed after their one night stand. I just felt like I never have the balls to say things like that to a man. The last time I had to kick somebody out of their room, I literally said, well, i got to be working a few, so be safe. (laughs) Or, well, it looks like your Uber is going to be here in 10 minutes, so I guess we have that That was my favorite part, after being, like, kind of harsh. Kind of harsh in her, like... undercut by it. (laughs) I know. Yeah, she like... Get to step in, and then, oh, it's going to take 10 minutes for the Uber to get here. <laughs> that was the most real. Like, all, everything, I couldn't find myself just relating to one person. I'm like, every aspect of this is me. Like, and this entire show in total gives you all the Dodecahedron 20 sides of me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, like, show, so, show, which is just undercut by that awkwardness, right? But what she said beforehand was like, yo, we want to keep it casual. Well, what? Juxtapose that to Layla's discussion with Miranda. I'm wanting to keep it casual in the beginning, which was a non-conversation. A non-conversation. <laughs> Literally, right? So it's like yeah. one of them is being super adult, right? And in the moment, but they're both lying. Spoiler, this is not a Layla, not the yeah. 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 They're both lying about their actual true feelings, right? right. Layla by non-expression, lots of omission. And and we find out Patricia by just like also she doesn't deal with her problems in a healthy way. So um, at least she doesn't realize that she's not doing that. So anyway, all right, so juxtapose that to Layla talking to Miranda and Jennifer at the party when I feel like Layla was just so empowered in that moment telling Jennifer, like, I'm talking to her right Jessica, now. Her name is Jessica. Sorry, Alex. Um, <laughs> <laughs> telling Jessica. Yo, I'm trying to have a conversation. You're not a motherfucking factor. Like to me, that was empowered. But then she holds off and punches her, which is like no. But <laughs> there are so that undercut her moment of, of empowering herself, of saying things she needed to say, and believing in them with conviction. She just undercut herself, you know. Mm-hmm. So I find that aspect just so real. It's like the whole shooting yourself in the foot because the time in the moments where you feel, oh, I'm ready to conquer the world, and then that stupid fucking thing self-doubt creeps in. Yeah. You're just like, oh, but maybe it's not me. I'm not here to lead the revolution. I'm here to write about it. You know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it for that. I lo- Bottom line, the, there were times where the acting was not good. No, mm-hmm. I agree. And I had one character I wanted to bring up. But um, there were times where the bad, the, the scene, the realness of the scene transcended the terrible acting. True. Right? And I feel like that scene where Layla stood up for herself and ended up punching Jessica was one of those scenes. Like, there was bad acting and some of the people involved in that. But it, at the end, you were just like, yes! And then, no! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of, no, the whole time. Because I'm like, yeah, it was cringy. Yeah, it was yeah. super cringy. I mean, it's like... The, it was one of those things where, you know, all the things you needed to say, you're saying at the wrong time and the wrong possible moments. But she still... Because she was super fucking drunk. Yeah, but in Vino Veritas, <laughs> That's though, true. 
said it, but it's, it is cringeworthy because it's just like, not like this, not now. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm truthful with, with, the, with the people I want to interact with on that intimate level when I am inebriated to some extent. So I understand that. So maybe because she saw her, she, you know, weaponized herself, <laughs> got drunk so she could say these things or she wouldn't, you know? So, um, so the bad actor I wanted to talk about was Patricia's mom. I felt like the re- I don't think she's necessarily a bad actor. I feel like that scene was written for a South Asian to say. Oh my God! Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more because oh, I, oh no, you know, I, oh no, it transcends race in a way because I do think that <clears throat> through the patriarchy we do have this sort of oh you silly single girl you don't have it together you know because that's the way the mom started the conversation. It was like. Uh, you need to get married, you need to be with a man, you need to this and you need that. And then she ends it by saying, I was, I'm just not happy with your father anymore. My marriage is dissolving yeah, around me. Like, Sorry. get in this situation so you can be in this situation. Like, it's terrible. That's episode two. I wrote down my notes say, how, I didn't know American parents talk like that. Yeah. <laughs> and then my last note for that scene was, it sounds more like a lecture, like the lecture we all wanted to hear from our parents. When she's talking about just one day you wake up and you don't have love. It's not like you don't love them. You're not in love with them. And one day you just wake up and realize it. I'm like, that sounds like an arranged marriage. <laughs> so, well, actually, I think that's probably true of all marriages. Right. Great marriages you may not have ever had that love. But this is more of a... <coughs> Go on. <laughs> this is more of a... Um, from what Patricia's mom's... What did we know what her name was? Mommy. Yeah. <laughs> mom was saying it was more that there was love once. She was in love with him at some point, and then, but it, it just sort of slowly died over time, which seems like a thing that actually happens. Not that I would know from personal experience. Yeah, I didn't. What I thought was actually with silence from me and Pooja, by the way. Yeah, speaking, speaking of, <laughs> I mean, I have too much to say, but I can't say. But also, speaking of conversations that sounded like they were written for Asian moms, was also the conversation at the end of the series when Patricia tells her mom about losing her job. Yes! That whole conversation, we only hear Patricia's side of it, but that conversation still totally sounded like an Asian parent-child conversation. And, and I wrote down, I never think asking my parents for help was an option. <laughs> and so those were, the, so, the instance, so that instance, never asking my friends, and the moments of empowerment that are undercut are two things that I feel like only happen because the women in this series are as young as they are. They're late 20s. We're late 30s. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, hey, listen. Can we still in? You, you, you are ahead there. You are on the train. What if they listen to this later? <laughs> <laughs> we are 78 years old. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm just, I'm just like, those. there are moments the show where I relate to the overall things, but there are things that I just look at and I'm like, oh, that's because you're young. And I don't know if that's because that's a limitation on me or if it's because, oh, that's because you're young. You know? And so one of those things is asking your parents for financial help. I would never, I'd be homeless before. Like, they would never know. They would never I, know. I, there is a huge thing in Indian culture. No, I didn't want to say it was it's in Indian culture because it's not, it's not that way through all the families, but do y'all experience this unwillingness to ask for help? Like, I would never ask my parents for help until I hit rock bottom because, and this happened all throughout my 20s and even my early 30s, I wouldn't ask for their help with anything until I hit rock fucking bottom and I had no other, you know, choice. choice. Um, Growing up, I never felt like I could ask my parents for anything. Like, if I asked them for money for a field trip, I would feel like I'm burdening them. And if I asked them to drive me somewhere, or if I asked them to let me go to... At some point, I stopped asking them uh, if I could go to birthday parties, because they said no so much. Like, I I think that was the creation of a liar, right there. <laughs> like, I, I never felt like I could ask my parents for help, so when I did, it was begrudgingly. And... I, I was willing to feel like complete shit while they were helping me in whatever way, and then they'd give me the third degree about it, and then that just solidified my not wanting to ask them for help in the future. I, <coughs> I have been influenced by a 
parents in ways to not ask them for help. Not in those ways. I feel like my mom is kind of like that, but she worries so much that it's easier to solve the problem than tell her, oh, look, this is how I solved it, then, mom, I'm having this problem. Because I don't need my mom to fret. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want her to yeah, worry about it. mother is anxious too. Right. Growing up, if I had to ask for something, I wouldn't. I'd just not do it for that assumption. Like, oh, it's probably meant for me to be home at the moment. You know, it doesn't matter. What am I missing out on anyway? Blah, blah, blah. With my dad, however, I feel like my dad was very liberal, but there was this, his story throughout his life was he had to be a dad younger than he wanted to be because my grandfather was not the best father. And his older brother left to immigrate to America. That's how we all ended up here. So he had to, quote unquote, be the man of his family in a village in Trinidad at the age of, like, in his mid-20s. So I wouldn't want him... To, to say anything, uh, to ask him for help, because I know he's gone through a lifetime of that, and I don't want to prolong his window of having to do that. Like, if sometimes you need to be separated, right? So, uh, same reason, same, same thing, Miranda. Mm-hmm. I ended up not saying anything to them. Mm-hmm. But it's for, you know, it's just like, it's not worth the hassle. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> not worth the hassle. Yeah, um, I... I feel the same way that it's just I think that immigrant thing that you would don't want to burden them but also my dad really pushed us to be independent and self-reliant and I just don't like asking for help so it would only be when I needed to yeah I don't even like asking my friends for help Here's and even problem. not asking for it, I hate. I won't accept it when they offer it. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm the good. crazy <laughs> thing about not asking for help in Brene Brown's research or shame research there's a heavy correlation between not asking for help and the inability to see struggle. Snap. And like, if you don't, if, if you, you don't possess the ability to ask for help, or the, there's a correlation between the ability to ask for help and the ability to see struggle in yourself or in other people. In others, in others, or in so yourself. So empathy. So it's it's strange. I feel like I'm very it's not. I don't. I don't know about it. If it's about empathy, straight up, but seeing somebody else's struggle, like I, I saw this in my own teaching. Like I would see a kid struggling in lessons, and where I could scale back on my expectations of them, and go, okay, well, let's just break this down really, quick, you know, quickly. I would be much quicker to go. What was the assignment this past week? Did you do what I asked? Da 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 da. And it's it just like that kind of unwillingness to scale back and go, okay, everybody has a hard week. Let's do this. That's so re- that's interesting. So interesting. I don't necessarily think that's true for me. Me either. Case in point, at work, I had I I'm helping with a project, and I needed something for, from somebody, and I emailed him and I said, hey, I need you to be at this meeting at this time. And he said, can we schedule the meeting? There's been a death in my family. I have to go to the funeral. Ew. And I said, okay, cool. So ever since that moment, I'm aware of that. And so I don't push on him as much because I'm aware of his extra, like, extraneous circumstances. And I, from personal experience, know how hard it is to be at work under those situations. So I approach him differently. And I, different from, from that, I would think. So maybe you don't have an unwillingness to ask for help, but you just choose not to. No, I'm saying uh, like if I had to open my mouth to be like, hey, I need, I wouldn't say it. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, I, if you know, when I talk, I'm always like, I want. Or if I say I need, it's followed up with, I eventually get. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I can meet my needs. And if I can't, and I haven't come, maybe it's because I haven't come across that situation yet. And, and because I haven't had a need, need I cannot meet, I haven't had to ask for help. Because yeah, I always managed to, to figure it out. So maybe the, the correlation is still true. It's just not. Hasn't been tested. Dear God, I better. I can't. Find me on the bridge on the other side of the street. <laughs> to close, I know that we wanted to talk about representation. There is a video that we talked. The Asian American video. Um, it was just a series of interviews with different people: Aziz Ansari, Constance Wu. Mingna, when um, Priyanka Chopra, Daniel Kim, right, and Henry or Harry Shum, um, and they were just talking about the different challenges that face Asian Americans and um, 
and representation. They're talking talked a little bit about the whitewashing issue and why that is a, a, a problem. And I it gave me the answer to that question that's been driving me crazy. That white people are always like, well, why can't white? It's acting, you know. Why can't white people play play these parts? And you know, if other people can play white parts, sort of. And that's kind of true. And and I finally like they they managed to help me articulate the answer. And it was from John Cho, but he was like, because we don't have enough of those parts to spare them. And that's well, you're the not answer. even real yet in this country. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't get to be the most privileged demographic in this country going, why can't white people do those roles? You don't see the trajectory of that lack of representation. It's like Gene Demby on Code Switch always says, they will cast a minority in the quote-unquote most powerful role in the room. Example, legal dramas, the judge is always black or Asian. Mm-hmm. And they will say, look, there is a minority in the cast. He's the most powerful person in the scene. Right. And that is the check mark that goes in the Minimal check mark. And that was the thing that Constance Wu said in this too, was about putting cult- color around the white people mm-hmm. in the story. And I was like, that's brilliant. So yeah, they're always in the background. In La La, La Land, the opening freaking person you see in La La Land, the movie that none of us will see. Um, actually, I watched two, three, four, five minutes of it, and then I couldn't handle the dialogue. It was really bad dialogue <laughs> writing. Like, really bad dialogue writing. Not what was this doing? Yeah, what the hell? Best um, I'm sorry. I don't understand. Anyway. Most nominated. Uh, so then, <laughs> the first person you see is an Indian girl. It's not even her voice. She's just lip syncing over this other singer's voice and then they're all doing this opening musical number mm-hmm. and she's the first and last person I think in that whole dance scene and so it's like oop Indian girl check you know what I mean yeah open the movie and I thought that many a times so whenever I watch something that I know the main cast that was billed or presented in the ads were all white I was just like oh okay so they got away with it because the first scene is like a focus on a black choir like got it great super <laughs> you know and I I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it because it just says to anything and anything, any person who is not quote-unquote mainstream, you'll never get there. But what people fail to realize is the mainstream no longer exists as it once did. The mainstream has moved towards expanding, towards being a different colored, towards being you know, less classes in the real world, yet we promulgate on media that we ingest something else. And that just creates this architecture and the structure of oppression. So basically, to cure everything, cast more around with everything. And not just in the yeah. side parts. In normal, yeah. fucking, boring-ass things, too. Yeah. Like, here's a postman, <laughs> you know? Uh, Here's an Indian dude who is putting away merchandise at Target. Like, that's just, like, normal. Here's an Indian dude buying his daughter a popsicle in a park. Like, just random shit to show that not just white people have everyday experiences. Like, we're not flying around on fucking magic carpets half the time. <laughs> we're literally going to work, I coming am. home, hating our yeah. lives. <laughs> Aren't you? I'm not on it. Yeah, God. I need to see a whole new Why world. are you holding back? <laughs> Where's your monkey? Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's an elephant, because Jafar's in power. Oh my God. So, um, anyway. Hi, <laughs> High five, up top. <laughs> so then, <laughs> we uh, just wanted to take that moment to praise Brown Girls for doing the amazing work they do and to keep this discussion and representation going. Message us with your thoughts. What shows, what magazines have you seen, or what representation in fashion have you seen that you felt represented by? We want to know uh, all the good things. Yes, all the good things. Um, That's it for us, I think. So thanks for listening, guys. Please leave us a review on iTunes. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's uh, at Jilted Indian Pod on Twitter and Instagram, I believe. And then Facebook as well. And yes, also Facebook. So talk to us. Talk to us. And you guys, we're wrapping up our first season. Yeah, we have our final recording session next week. Next week, guys. So we just want to say thank you for hanging with us. Yes. Yes. Dedicated. Yes. We intended 10 
episodes per season, but you got a lot of bonuses. We, I think we're going to be at 20 episodes if you count our bonuses at the end of the season. And we just want to say thank you for sticking with us. Please recommend us to your friends. Please rate, rate us on the iTunes like Andrew said. Um, we are looking forward to bringing you a better season two, and we can't do that without your support. So thank you so much. This has been Pooja. Andrew. And Miranda. Go in peace and power. <laughs> with the Jilted Engine podcast. <laughs> Is anybody going to start this? <laughs>